if the concept is like, all right, hey, I want to meet people because you're truly interested in them, there's a little bit less weight to it. And it doesn't feel as rejection. If someone, like, it's the biggest gift to me if someone doesn't ask me out again or doesn't write back to me because that just eliminated one more choice that I need to make. And I love that because they are choosing for me that they're not interested in me. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 168 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I have had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And so for all these reasons, I am just delighted to introduce you to Jackie Newman. Jackie is by trade a business strategist for a large financial firm focused on organizational psychology and a licensed stockbroker. In her free time, she is an improv comedian, a passionate dog mom to Maple, her talking sheepadoodle. We're going to have to talk to her about that an ever-curious learner, and an advocate for underdogs everywhere. Most recently, while living in New York City, Jackie challenged herself to a personal experiment to go on 100 first dates as a challenge to find the most compatible life partner, as well as learn and grow from meeting new people. Using her experience as a personal study, she developed an ADHD-friendly strategy to go on dates, and she's passionate about empowering others to face the challenges of the dating world. From this experience, she has wild stories and helpful lessons on navigating the dating world as an ADHDer. Jackie, did I get all of that right? You got it all. And I just want to bring up, Tracy, I think it's hilarious that I wrote to you with a few different things we could chat about, and I wrote about my my most like um, uh, uh, 
the most things I'm, I'm proud of, I said, I became a licensed stockbroker. You know, I, I challenge all of these different things. I, I have these passions for X, Y, and Z. And I love that I said, oh, and by the way, I also did this 100 date challenge. And you're like, that's the one. Yeah. No, you have no idea how much I love this topic. And as I told you, I want to share a little story with you before we get into it. But I expect that Look, you're going to make us laugh, so I promise we're going to get there. But you know that I always have to start with the ADHD diagnosis because I think it gives us a frame of reference and some structure around who you are. So is that okay? Yes, absolutely. So let's start. Tell us your ADHD diagnosis story. Yes. Well, I am 34 now. And two years ago, right after the pandemic, I really dove into understanding my ADHD. I'd always actually suspected that I had it ever since I was younger. And I actually got tested when I was 15 or so. And they said, you know, we don't think you have ADHD. Uh, They actually put me on Concerta. And then they asked me uh, if I could tell the difference. And I didn't learn until later that a lot of times us with ADHD can't see trends. So wait, 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 wait. Hold on a second. So your doctor put you on Concerta to see if you have ADHD? So this is interesting. She did a test for me and in the spectrum, she said, you know, this is a category that says, no, you definitely don't have it. This is a category that says, yes, you do. She said, you're in the category that's maybe, but she said, likely we don't think you have ADHD, but because you're in that maybe category, I'm happy to um, give you concerta because maybe you're not showing on our tests here. Does that make sense? Yeah. So she thought maybe and yeah, but still, right? I've heard this more than I'd like to announce. Like I have a few friends who've talked to their GPs who've given them meds without diagnosis or just saying, hey, does this help? But yeah, I think that is it's a solid point. Well, and it's ridiculous that you try one medication and if that doesn't work, then that means you don't have ADHD. I mean, 20% of us medication doesn't work at all. And for I don't know what percentage after that, some meds work, some don't, right? Totally. That is and silliness. I, and I also, I don't know about when you were 15, but when I was 15, <laughs> I couldn't tell you the last time I, you know, ate yes. lunch. I couldn't, I couldn't fall, to follow a trend. You know, mm-hmm. emotions are so high and low. Who's going to prom? Who's not? You know, like all these wild things, I feel like, and the concept of do your attention symptoms or whatever is most difficult for ADHD. And back then, I don't think I understood it at all. So what did they do? Did they ultimately, when when your doctor said, okay, it's not ADHD because Concerta doesn't work, did they diagnose you with anything else? No, they kind of dropped the ball because I went to them, no doctors. So I'm that case of women, uh, people who had, had emotional support from my family. Mm-hmm. And I um, did pretty well in classes when I tried and cared. And for better or worse, I had a little bit of people pleasing me. So I wanted mm-hmm. my teachers to know I was trying. So all that to share, I slid through for most of high school and even college. I had some bumps in the road that looking back seem obvious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I even wrote a 25-page research paper. Get this, Tracy. I wrote a 25-page research paper on ADHD. I majored in psychology in college. And the research paper was the death of me. I remember being like, I'm never going to make it out alive. This is insane. This is so hard. (laughs) And it never dawned on you as you're studying ADHD that maybe this was what was going on? Well, I was like, I I related with it. I, you know, in psych, Ah. you read all these studies and I don't know if you've ever taken a a psych course or like listened to something. Okay. And you're like, oh, that sounds like me. But then (laughs) you're like, okay, all of these sound like, you know, where's the spectrum of, we all have a little bit of this, right? But now I know, oh man. 
it's, I, um, I read Sari, so, so two years ago, I'll flash forward two years ago, I read Sari Solden's women with ADHD book. And yeah. for, for anyone who hasn't, have you read it, Tracy? I have. What do you think about it? I, I think it's a great book. I always struggle and I, and I really like her. And I think Sari Solden, yeah, she's got ADHD, right? Yeah, I think so. She's mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I really respect what she says. I just always look for something, you know, I look for more strength focused. Yes. Got it. Got information. it. Information. But oh, I, I think love she's that. Yeah. brilliant and I so respect her. Yes. And maybe it was the intro for me, but that books, you know, I, I found this group on Reddit called, um, ADHD women. And yeah. if, if you haven't been there, honestly, like they were kind of my original, um, group that helped me understand, mm-hmm. you know, how to thrive. And somebody said, this book changed my life. And I read it and there's a middle part, um, of the book. You just, honestly, if nobody wants to skim through it, just read this part. And it's five pages of common traits for women with ADHD. And mm-hmm. it's everything from sensory sensitivity. When you walk in the mall, you get overwhelmed and tired because of those lights. Or totally, um, <laughs> you, you hate shopping because it's just too many decisions. Yep. Or, um, but but you Let's love little small <laughs> intimate boutiques. Yes, yes, expensive intimate boutiques. Oh my gosh, what's that Stitch Fix? I think was made for us. Like the concept, of, like send me stuff and I can decide if I want it or not. Right, send it back to you. I love all those concepts, but yes, all of those. Um, things. And I highlighted 50 out of 52 of the traits. And then I just brought them to a, um, I found a local ADHD specialist and I was like, (laughs) I have ADHD and they read through them and they just like confirmed it. (laughs) And I was like, you know, I kind of feel like you need to advocate for yourself a lot now, but that being said, that's, that's the, the big picture of my ADHD story. So again, it was something that was going on during the pandemic that brought it to a head. Yeah. I'd gotten a new job. Uh, mm. a few months prior. So actually a month prior to the pandemic, I got a remote job. So I'm going to be remote either way. I was living in New York City. And when the pandemic hit there, it was... Um, oh, it was, yeah. It was a lot. I was hearing sirens like every eight minutes mm-hmm. from my apartment. So I jumped um, to live with my family in Maryland. I just grabbed my stuff. And I said, I'll stay with them. And so I got in a new home, a new job. And the job was doing... It was a lot of... Um, There's a lot of technical jargon in long meetings, much longer than I was used to. And so, you know, sitting in these meetings and I was onboarding and trying to understand these legal and compliance jargon. And I, I talked to my boss later and, you know, we had, a, he was so supportive and I just said like, Hey, I think I'm going crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't understand any of this. He was like, just so you know, and this is after I, you know, had kind of diagnosed myself slash gotten diagnosed by a professional. Um, he was like, well, I'll support you in any way that you need. I told him I had ADHD, but he said, just so you know, I feel the same way in those meetings. <laughs> And so it kind of helped me a little bit, but also I think it, it pointed out how it was much more challenging for me. Got it. So what were the things that you were just really good at in your job? And we know you were bad at meetings. Were were there any other, you know, oh, I don't know, characteristics. What am I trying to say? Were there other things that you just stuck at? (laughs) How about that? That I was good at or bad at? Both. I've always been super intuitive about people, and that'll come up later too. Being able to work a room, not in a way that's slimy, but I mean, truly, like if I'm talking to someone and I recognize at a party someone else isn't comfortable, they don't know anyone, I'll want to bring them in. Or in work, you know, a lot of working for big firms is um, a lot of it is networking. I view networking as just making friends and then working with those friends. 
I don't like to do the slimy fake networking, <laughs> you know, I'd rather just get to know someone I really like and be like, all right, Tracy, let's do something fun together. You know, let's, let's move forward. Other things, creative. So a lot of my job is big picture strategy. So where do we want to move this company in the future? What are our needs for our clients? And I'd worked firsthand with clients um, in finance and financial planning for six years. And a lot of that's just relationship building. So those are some things that I was like, all right, these things I'm great at. But when it came to the challenges, I think until I created strategies, even before I knew I had ADHD, mm-hmm. strategies for follow-up, for doing the boring adulting things, yeah, I hyper-focused and overcompensated on money. So I love budgeting and I automated everything and I like love being financially independent. But before I spent a ton of energy and time figuring that, I was horrible at it. So I always like to be like, if I can do it, anyone can. Wait a minute. Okay. So this is so interesting because just the fact that you're sitting here telling me you love budgeting and you love money, and this goes to show that every ADHD brain is different because I have talked to other financial services women who've been on this podcast, as well as stockbrokers. So clearly that was an area of interest for you, right? But not from the beginning is what you're telling me? Yeah. So not from the beginning. I think what happened was this was my, this is one of my underdog overcomings. Like, have you ever found in yourself or another ADHD or something that they're not good at? And so they're like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to make this work for me. And then they come up on top. Yes. Totally the same. Hmm. So I took a financial budgeting course and I hated it. Can I ask you, how old were you when you did that? I was 22. Okay. When you think of the stereotypical ADHD person, no concept of money, just kind of buying whatever you want, no budget, you know, always kind of being short at the end of the month, or were you different than that? Um, man, it's so tricky because up until that point, I was in college. Mm, and I had no money. <laughs> yeah, I had no money. But I also was in a group of friends where we weren't really about like brand names or things, you know, so we've never been like, um, it's never been like, oh, I want that Louis Vuitton bag or something. I do think, yeah, for sure, spontaneous, didn't have a plan for sure. Kind of like flying by the, what's the phrase? Seat of your pants. Seat of your pants. (laughs) I have a friend who uses the wrong terms all the time and he'll be like, man, let's get our our hands wet and our feet dirty. And I'm like, I don't know (laughs) if that's the right one. Sounds so a little like dyslexia. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm ready to like throw some of those out today. Um, yeah, but so that being said, I, I never really had a plan. So I think I took this course and there was something almost like if you've never worked out before. This is my same experience with exercise. The second you learn every human body can be strong and can grow muscle and can run a um run a mile, can run five miles. I did two half marathons and I've never been considered the athletic one in my friend group. I called myself athletic by association because all my friends were athletic. Yeah. But once I learned I could do it, I was like, whoa, this is so empowering. And so Mm. with money, once I was taught in layman's terms and candidly on the side, Lisa, I think we need this for the ADHD community. And I've played with it in my mind a couple of times being like, should I just like (laughs) create this as a side interest? Um, like walking through with someone who is gentle and kind and makes it fun to be able to be like, all right, you can own your life. To me, that was very transformational for my financial relationship. So do you do that with your clients or do you have a group that does that? Because I think that is so needed. The fun part with the finance. I do it one-off with friends as requested, but right now my job's no longer client-facing. So I 
don't work with clients individually anymore. But I have thought about like, we need that. I, you know, I think about myself when I was um, younger and I think about my nieces and just like um, women in the community who could be empowered. So to be determined, I'll report back. You need if we start to do something. this. I will sign up. Yeah, great. Um, right. If you're listening, write in if you're interested and um, we'll start a group. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you were really good at the networking and the big strategies, big picture, but you were terrible at the meetings and what else? Yes. Anything that anything that could be an email or even just a bullet point, you know, I had some friends for Tracy, um, we would create bingo sheets for like words we'd hear in meetings and it would be like synergy. Uh, what we'll be here a million times. It would be like th- uh, the phrase, thank you for all that you do. <laughs> you know, we just write, like, we'd cross out whenever we'd hear the same phrase. Because it just <laughs> oh felt like. It well, you made the meetings like- fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I don't think this meeting's really needed. It's just on the calendar. Um, so yeah, I think that efficiency, I would say, you know, I think sometimes ADHD years, we don't get credit. We, we can seem inefficient in some things, right? Because you go to mm-hmm. clean your bathroom and suddenly you're deep diving into the best you know, eco-friendly dish soap or something. Right. But that being said, I'd also argue like if we want to get a meeting done, we're going to hit the bullet points of bounce and move on instead of just like sit there and mm-hmm. talk about nothing. So yeah, I think that has been a big thing that I've seen strengths and weaknesses in. Um, so I think one one more thing that Sarius Holden's book says, and I think I've heard you say it too, my career has gotten easier the more it's grown. So when I was in my entry level position, mm-hmm. they, they gave, especially as a woman, they give you all of these. And this is what I do like about that book. Sarah Sheldon talks about too. Like, they, like I was a, a senior relationship manager and I was coordinating luncheons <laughs> for our office. Oh. I'm like, why is this for me? And it's cause I was the one of the only women in the office, you know, um, just things like that. So the more that my career developed, the, I think the more ADHD friendly it became. Okay, so you were no longer coordinating lunches. That's right. I'm no longer doing oh. any lunch coordination. And that was even at, at a more senior role. But in the very beginning, I remember like I had to order for our um, for our branch, I had to order urinal cakes for the men's bathroom. And that's when I realized, man, oh this- Oh my, wait, wait, this, wait, what? Yes. You know, they when, can't order their own damn urine cake? I don't even know what that is. I don't want to know. I didn't know either. Essentially, it's just like when you're ordering supplies for the office, you get chips, you get coffee. But then <laughs> for men's urinals, they have these little like air fresheners they put in the bottom. I don't that know who names so, the cakes. Who named these so cakes? Some man. <laughs> Let's call it a cake. <laughs> oh yeah, my so gosh. That's I'm, I'm done with that. I'm, I'm all for women not doing that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? Oh my gosh. Um, I was just talking to my partner about this. I think the major thing for me is I didn't know I was in denial with the things that were hard for me. And then coming out of denial, I think that the phrase loving yourself Mm-hmm. means so much more because it's not loving. I, I think that I loved the idea of myself before this fun, loving throws great parties, good for hard conversations. But I, I don't know if I really knew the Jackie that has a really hard time with some stuff, right? Um, 
feels to feel super hard. <laughs> I watched a commercial, I remember a few months ago, <laughs> you know what it was? Actually, it was, it was Scro- the, the Muppets version of Scrooge. <laughs> there, it wasn't a commercial. And the little mice go, please, Mr. Scrooge, we don't have anywhere to sleep. Can I, can we have some money? And he's like, no. <laughs> I was like, John, I don't think I can watch this. This is so sad. Yes, exactly. Oh. <laughs> and John was like, it's, first of all, it's just the Muppets. And second of all, like, this is good. It's showing real life. And I was like, that is so sad that that's in real life. Like there are children, you know, it just hits hard. So loving yourself for me, loving myself means more when I'm also loving the parts of myself that are hard or that are, um, yeah, they're not perfect all the time. And it's honestly given me such a healthier approach, I think, to everyday enjoyment of life and just, um, for me, truly accepting and loving myself, which is going to be a lifelong journey, is actually the key to my enjoyment mm-hmm. of every day of my being yeah. a good daughter and uh, and worker and partner and, and dog mom, whatever those things might be. And why isn't worrying about the little mice who have no home a good thing? Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know? Totally. I, I was thinking the other day, have you ever thought this? Like, how would our perceptions of ourselves be if everyone thought this way? Like it was not, there was no neurotypical, like this was typical. Yeah. No, we'd be in a much better world. (laughs) I think so. I think you're right. Okay. So let's talk about what it was that I really wanted to talk to you about. (laughs) So I have a daughter who's between college and law school. And she wanted to make sure that she really wanted to be a lawyer. So she's working as a paralegal in New York City right now. Oh, awesome. She's 23. And she regularly talks about how much the dating scene sucks. Oh, my gosh. I don't get it. You know, she's charming. She's very irreverent, super smart, well-read. In fact, this might be one of her biggest mistakes. When she goes on a date, she asks the guy, what are you reading? And if they don't read, she's like, no second date. Unless she does give a pass to guys who say they have dyslexia or ADHD, (laughs) as long as they're learning in some way. I told her about you and she said, that woman is insane. I can barely make it through one date. A hundred would literally kill me. And so, you know, I told her and I told her this for a while now that it's just a numbers game. And so I want to tell you a little story. So back, back in the day, this was even before email. I had a friend who was nine years older than I was, and she was one of those women who was negotiating deals at the Ritz in Paris before her 30th birthday. So really accomplished professionally, but really struggling personally. I think she was 32, you know, when we were friends, and I think she was on her third divorce. So anyway, I suggested, hey, let's put a personal ad in a San Francisco newspaper. (laughs) And I had been dating someone seriously for a long time, and I ended up breaking up with him. And so I was just dating these other guys, but I knew I was going to go back to D.C. to uh, do my master's in law at Georgetown. And so I just wanted someone smart and fun to go do things with, right? I had no interest in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. And so long story short, my friend ended up moving to Florida, and I was like, why not? It's all set up. You know, I didn't know, of course, I was ADHD, but I'm just going to do this. And again, this was way before online dating. So it was really unusual for anyone to think of such a harebrained idea, right? I love it. I love it. I posted, it was in the Bay Guardian. I posted this ad and I got over 150 responses. Granted, (gasps) 
I was 23. I was a lawyer. I had passed the bar at that time. But oh my gosh, the quality of guy that I got was a thousand times better than who I had been meeting in person or frankly, who I would meet in a bar. Well, other than I got one guy who was in prison. I had, (laughs) and oh my God, you should have seen his envelope. He had all, you could tell he was an artist. The poor guy was probably ADHD, right? It was all this colored pencils, these beautiful art that he had created. But anyway, so I had a Harvard professor who sent me his book. I had a CEO who sent me photos of himself on his yacht, and he was looking for someone to travel the world with. And then there was the Garden Variety Stanford and Cal graduate students, right? I had never been in such a position of control. And it suddenly dawned on me that this was just a numbers game. It was marketing. But in my case, it was like friggin' shooting fish in a barrel. But Remember, I didn't want to meet anyone serious, right? Because I was leaving. So I met this one guy who was irritating the hell out of me because every time I went out with him, he got even better. And I was just like, you know, thinking Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I didn't want to like him, and I was mad at myself for liking him. So by week two, I knew I was sunk. I knew he was the one. And this was in March. So I went to, I went back to Georgetown in August and that following October, I proposed by flying a plane over Singing Beach in Manchester, Massachusetts, and it trailed a banner that said, Rich, marry me, love Tracy. And we were sitting on this beach and there was a group um, with one of those instant Polaroid cameras. I think they still sell them. And Rich hadn't responded to me. And so they asked Rich, so what did you say? And he's like, "Um, of course, yes. And so they snapped this picture of us that we still have and, you know, gave it to us. And Rich then looked at me and he asked, so what did you have in mind? And okay, at the time I was totally pretentious. And so what I told them was 150 people, black tie, Our Lady of Angels Church in Burlingame and the Cole Mansion for the reception. But the really bad part is my friend had already put deposits down with the church and the Cole Mansion. So we had lied to a priest. We already had a date. (laughs) As crazy as your story is, for my time, I think mine was equally crazy because- I don't know, more crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Women just didn't do this. Oh, and the other thing I did is I asked for a resume and a business card, which I would give to, I gave it to my best friend at the time. So if I ended up dead in a gutter, she would know like who I was with. So I totally get what you were doing here. And I love that. Well, I want you to tell us because I know you built statistics around it. And okay, so tell me what happened. So that's my story. Before we move on, we just need to stay here for a second. Am I understanding correctly that you put an ad in a paper, got a hundred, did you say 150 responses? Yes. Yeah. And and I would say 95% of them were high, high quality. Now, how did you, did they give you phone numbers or how did you interact? Like, did you meet them in person? Okay. How did you figure so, out? So this is, it was in the dark ages, kind of like around the wheel, right? So there was no email. So what we had to do was write um, letters. And okay, I'm ADHD. My husband, he sent me a letter. I wrote back. I said, okay, let's go out. And then he gave me his secretary's number and I called his secretary. She never gave him the message. So I'm like, screw that. I'm not going to follow up. So then he sends me a card with a a little dog standing on a bunch of books, opening up a mailbox. And inside it just says, I'm waiting. And then he writes in it, if you're interested, please let me know. Otherwise, I would appreciate a response that you're not. So I mean, he basically was just very like, boom, boom, boom. 
And this is my husband. My husband is the complete opposite of me. He is so good at follow-up. He's still, like you will appreciate this because, you know, stockbroker, he will lock himself in his office every Friday and make 50 calls. He literally... And he can, he can, he can have a three minute phone conversation. I've tried to do that. I can't get off the phone in under an hour. Yeah. I mean, we're no. still in the intro and we're like 30 minutes. But I want to point out really fast, Tracy, like uh-huh. the fact that you had all of those responses and the fact that you additionally, well, also one thing you said that his secretary didn't give um, him the message. I know I don't know the story, but I wonder if his secretary had a crush on Rich because she didn't pass along the message that you were interested. This very, it sounds like you're very successful in your prime. And the whole story and the concept of um of you flying a plane. Yeah. You went over it so quickly as if it was normal. Flying a plane over with Mary Me Rich. Uh was it is it like those old school um signs that you see sometimes like on the beach yeah. now they'll have ad advertising? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then Tracy, but let me tell you why I did that. That's amazing. And this is so ADHD. So I knew my husband, my, my boyfriend at the time, I knew he wanted to get married. I knew he was going to propose to me, but I figured he was probably, cause he's, you know, he's rich and, and this is what I love about him. He is Wait, not he's like rich, crazy. You mean he's rich, his name or you mean he's rich very well? No, no. Well, yeah, I thought he was rich, but he's not. He's just rich. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just clarifying. <laughs> So, you know, the funny thing is, so I'm German and Japanese and my husband is Italian. So we call our kids the axis of evil. But (laughs) but no, the reason I did it is I knew he would propose, but I also knew he would do the traditional thing, right? Mm -hmm. It would probably be at a restaurant. He'd get down on one knee. And I was just like, first of all, I don't want to wait until then, because then I would have missed the window of opportunity to get married in um, the fall, because I knew that there was only like you know, one day or two days left uh, to be able to get married in the church I wanted, which is where I I was raised in that church. Of course, you know, we didn't go to church after that until my kids were born. Um, <laughs> so I knew that um, it just wouldn't work out from a time frame. And then I also thought, oh my God, you know, I want to be able to tell a story when I'm, you know, been married for 25 years. So that was I have a successful top podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I want to have a story when a girl comes on and tells me she's trying to figure out in New York City. Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) I never, um, I don't think I've ever talked about this on the podcast, but uh, yeah. And like, and obviously I've never met you, Tracy, but I've listened to a ton of your podcast. So I feel like we've hung out before. The concept that you are a go-getter and like, you know, people have said, uh, you know, Tracy, how do you have your stuff so much together? And you're like, no, like, you know, I've got my own things, but the, the fact that you can cultivate this podcast, have it become so successful, keep it going. You have the gumption in you. I'm not surprised at all that you also flew a plane over top yeah. of it, asking him to marry. It just, it's on brand for you. <laughs> well, and it was so ridiculous because keep in mind, I was a, a student so I had very little money. I had no business spending money on that, right? But I just knew Sounds like that, us. okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go big because go big or go home, right? Totally. My favorite money quote, and I use this for like dating and other things are, cost is only an issue in the absence of value, right? Mm. So if Rich said no, then that would that'd be a bummer on that cost. Or if it was, um, you know, if I said, you know, Tracy, I have... Um, 
your kids, I'm holding them kidnapped for 10 grand. You'd be like, no problem. I don't, you know, even if you didn't have 10 grand, even if it was someone who was a college right. student, they'd make it happen. But if yes. I said, look at this crappy t-shirt I got from St. Petersburg that somebody spray painted and I spent $5 on it, it's 10 grand. You'd be like, no, 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 I'm not going to pay for that because it's not valuable probably. Yes. You. Unless you love those St. Petersburg t-shirts and I don't know that about you, Tracy. Right. Well, <laughs> right now, especially not. But yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, that being said, um, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, just to be clear. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, I, I that, don't know why. That was my ADHD random thinking of a random city. <laughs> um, we can. Okay. Uh, so tell me, yeah. okay, I want to know what were you going through at the time that made you think that <laughs> dating a hundred guys in New York City, which that's just a hard feat in itself to find a hundred guys you'd oh even my- want you know, to go out with. Yeah. Well, I also will point, I moved from a smaller town. I lived in Knoxville, Tennessee for college and I worked there. So I lived there for about 10 years and dating in a smaller town is totally different than New York. So for anyone listening, who's doing the dating app world in a, in a town that's smaller, you know, it might not translate one for one, but I moved to New York city and it's this combination. It's this trifecta effect of one, I study psychology both professionally and personally. Professionally, I um, study how to create a healthy organization where we don't have Me Too movements. We have strategies so that you know an organization's healthy and making money, and then people love working there and, and, and having you. But on a on a personal level, I study all of those things for individuals. Just for me, like how do you create? I'm just interested in knowing how do you create the most satisfying partnership. You know, my parents. So so psychology is one. Two, my parents have this super healthy relationship. I mean, they mm. love hanging out. They're very independent. They, they have their own hobbies, but they, like, I've walked into the kitchen where my mom's crying on multiple occasions, but she's crying because she's laughing so hard as something that she <laughs> and my dad are talking about. <laughs> you know, it's cool. And a lot of my friends, um, I'd say, like, more than a dozen or two dozen times, I've had friends meet my parents and be like, whoa, like, I didn't know you could just have such a healthy partnership, like really like your partner after That's that lovely. long. Yep. Yeah. So it's great unless you're the daughter of those people and you're like, <laughs> you know, I have to, I have to regularly check myself and be like, Hey, no one starts that way. You know, like you grow into that. But that being said, you know, I think That's that what exactly, happened, by the way, what my daughter says, she's like, I'm never going to find dad. There is no dad. You know, and that is what kind of puts her in the hole. And you're basically saying the same thing. Oh my gosh, me and your daughter should hang out. Bring her on the <laughs> podcast. Give her my cell phone number. We'll chat. You can yes. be her dating coach. Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know. We, we can be buddies on it. But that being said, yeah. So I essentially moved to this really big city where, and, and I just recommend if anyone, if you have a group of friends someplace, I think that's an amazing place to date because you essentially, you already have all of these similarities and your humor and your values, you know, um, but, but I only had, I had friends here or there in the city, like a couple girlfriends from high school, but they were, you know, New York's so big. And I remember, is it, um, you said your daughter lives there now and did your son go to school there? Yeah. So my son is in London as of today, but oh my he gosh. lives in New York too. He's at, at NYU, but he's on spring break. Awesome. Was London where you said that you put the, um, where did you say you put the ad in the paper? Oh, no, no. San Francisco. San Francisco. Okay. My bad. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, watch out. Don't, don't let them read those papers. <laughs> <laughs> I misheard. So I moved to New York and I didn't have a group of friends there. Um, and I wanted to you know, meet people, but also I was interested in learning more about what creates a, 
a healthy relationship. I'd had one serious relationship prior. And, you know, as a, as a student of psychology, you know, what do we know about data? The more data points you have, the more accuracy you can have, right? So, like, so um, I read a book by a now canceled comedian um, that I won't mention his name called Modern Romance. And what he'd done is he hired a bunch of, I want to say they were Harvard um, uh, or Oxford, um, PhD psychologists. And they essentially, he wrote the, the humor of the book, but they found a bunch of data on dating. And essentially one of the conclusions they came to was nowadays you can meet more people than ever. You know, it used to be a small town. Yeah. Let's say there's five eligible bachelors. <laughs> and let's imagine, you know, for compatibility for you, there could be one that's a eight out of 10 compatible to you. One that's a one out of 10. One that's a six out of 10. And maybe that eight out of 10 already is with somebody else. So your best bet's going with a six out of 10 compatible, right? And so his um, book just says, you know, now we have more uh, availability to go to any college we want to. We can um, try, we can get, um, we can buy things from any any country that we want to, right? We can do all of these international things. But additionally with dating, you can leave your little small town and, and date in the internet. You can date someone from anywhere. And so the, the study has found that there's a higher likelihood of higher compatibility and satisfaction, but there's more work to get there. And so I use that as, you know, hey, I'm, I'm 27 in New York and in other um, places that might be older in New York, that's like an infant child. Like, right. Just starting dating. Right. Uh, I love that. If anyone feels old, move to New York. <laughs> you're going to feel great. And I was like, all right, well, let's, um, I, I think, uh, do you know what a finance bro is, Tracy? Are you familiar with that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> so my, my son's, yeah, he's studying investment banking. He's an economics student, basically. Yeah. Okay. So, That's the big joke, right? The finance but, bros. My daughter argue, hangs out with all of them. <laughs> so I was working with a bunch of finance bros, and I would argue if your if your son is studying investment banking, well, he's he, he's studying economics, but he just okay. got his first you know big bank internship. Yeah, so he might be doing. I'm assuming like the research aspect of it. Does that sound familiar to you? Is he understanding? Or is he doing more of the sales, the people aspect? Okay, so you know? he wants to do the people part. Okay, so a side note. If anybody's looking for a job, um, ADHD, or there are a ton of men specifically because it's 90% men, but they want more women. So it's a great time to get in. A ton of men with ADHD, either diagnosed or undiagnosed in financial sales, in financial yes. training. Well, okay. Yes. So I'm, I'm going to, this is going to be a long ass podcast, but okay, so I want to tell you something that is fascinating to me. So he interviewed for this internship, 870 students around the country they gave three offers. He struggles with math, although he's really good at like basic math. He's one of those computer kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he doesn't have, I shouldn't be telling this, but he doesn't care. He doesn't have um, the best grades. And he's also not part of Stern, which is, I guess, where most of the finance bros come from. He's part of the College of Arts and Science Economics Department. And for everyone else, Stern is like NYU's business. Um, yeah, it's like, business I don't know, school. number yeah. whatever. It's a, you know, it's so- it's finance bros are made. <laughs> yes, exactly. But the thing is that what they did is he's super smart, but because he's got dyslexia and ADHD, his grades don't always show how smart he is. So what they did is they gave him something called a Pymetrics test, which is a psychology test. And what they do is they look for kids whose Pymetrics scores mirror their most successful hires. 
So he's ADHD and dyslexia, and he was one of three out of 870 that that got chosen. Look at that. That's awesome. So So they're changing how they even hire. I love it. So what you were starting to say makes perfect sense to me. So like, yeah. About ADHD and uh, finance bros. (laughs) Totally. Oh my, I love that you said finance too. (laughs) I feel like, you know, um, what's funny is, you know, I worked in financial planning, which is, you know, we're meeting with a lot of people who are, um, you know, about to retire in their 60s and 70s. And it's true Mm -hmm. financial planning. Our office shuts at five. We don't do trading, right? So just to give you a concept, there's true finance, which are, you know, Mm They're equity brokers. They're waking up at 4 a.m. They're, they're placing trades. Yeah. You know, their suits are, they're, they're, you know, they get That's off work at 11. Yeah. <laughs> um, you should send me his contact on the side. I'll help see if I can connect him with some people. But that being said, um, finance bros and, you know, my favorite phrase by a finance, I do improv comedy. And a lot of times I end up just accidentally paying a finance bro. <laughs> they're the guys who are like, my favorite phrase is, hey, Jackie, you coming out for cocktails after work? And I'm like, ah, maybe, I'm not sure. And they're like, babies are for babies. <laughs> or they'll be like, Come I know. On, brewskis, brewskis on me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Isn't that awesome? Um, one guy that I met on a dating app, I said, what are you up to this weekend? <laughs> and he said, um, hanging with the horses. But then he sent me a picture of that that really nice car. It's in a Maserati that has like a horse logo on it. And he had two of them. And I was like, no, this is not my type of man. (laughs) (laughs) Like bragging about stuff. So anyway, there's, I, I worked with, um, a handful, uh, uh, some great guys, but a handful of finance bars. And one of them was like, I'm going to see how many dates I can go on. And to him, I think it was kind of gamey. And it kind of reminded me, oh, like I could do this in a way that's genuine, but trying to meet as many people as I can. And also learning about how I can, um, how I can date. So Essentially, I share this also because dating is so not ADHD friendly, especially now because, Tracy, have you ever played with the dating app? Have you seen the process of what you need to do on it? I sort of with my daughter, but not really. So making a profile, there's a whole science to it, first of all. The first picture, you know, like like I mentioned, I can share my story of the dates that I went on, but then I created strategies to go mm-hmm. through it to just make it as effective as possible. There's a whole science to a dating profile, number one. Then number two, if you you go through and you swipe on who you like, and then if they do the wait for so maybe you'll, you'll, you, can, you can comment on their picture and say like, say something, whatever you'd like to. And then you have to wait for them to reply. And maybe they'll just, um, they can either match you. And I'm talking about, I used Hinge. Or they mm-hmm. can also match and reply to your message. So you're waiting for them to match. And if they don't reply to your message, you've got to decide, are they playing games or they just forget to write back? Should I write another message? And you're going back and forth. And then there's yeah. the admin of, you know, I was doing this in New York. They Let's say they work on the Upper West Side. Let's say I live on the Lower East Side, but they live in Dumbo mm-hmm. and I work in, I don't know, um, Queens. Figuring out logically how to find a time where you're not commuting mm-hmm. an hour home and then to the date is just like, oh, it's so much admin. So there's just all of this stuff that goes on. And then the messages and, ha- you know, the first time I went on a date, I got bought a new outfit for it. And I was so excited. I told my friends about it. And then you meet somebody and over and over again, you're kind of like, oh, like this is just like if you met a stranger at a party, what are the chances you really love hanging out with them? It's just a human, you know? And mm-hmm. so I started to just realize, uh, I think for me, I, and again, I, I don't need to go on a hundred dates. I'd be happy if I met my ideal partner <laughs> on date three, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that would be a fun way to challenge myself because it's not fun to set updates. You know, like it's not, it's a lot of admin work. 
Mm-hmm. And, and so, the more you do it, probably the better you get at it, right? Exactly. And the better you can figure out someone quickly. So I learned questions to ask that could tell me about their character really early on. So I didn't have to date them for three months and then find out, you know, they were seeing someone else or something like that. They wouldn't go with me. Yeah. So you kind of get, it's just, just like anything, just practice. Um, and I think it's not talked about a lot, but it's, it's so hard when you're single. It's almost like exercise. If you don't have a personal trainer, you know, we spend all this money on personal trainers to become fit. Someone who holds us accountable, who helps us. We tell them on hard days, we spend money on meeting with, um, uh, experts for our career, right? We hire people to help us figure out how to set up our resume, how to get a new job, but we don't have that set up for dating. And statistically, dating or, or who we end up with as a life partner Ugh, affects our life more. satisfaction way more. And so um, this is the inspiration for, I created an Instagram, 100, the 100 date challenge. And it's slowly growing, but it's essentially like, how do we create a group of women where, Hey, you know, like your, your single friends, or your dating friends might be bored about hearing about these questions all the time, but how do you create a little bit of a community to be like, Hey, he didn't pay for my date. Is that rude? Or is that okay? And depending upon the context, it could be one or the other, right? So there's so many, there's so many, um, different questions and plays. And this topic honestly could go on forever. But that being said, I, I did have a series of, of very interesting dates in the beginning that I'd love to tell you about. Okay. But before you do that, so yeah. um, actually, no, you do that. And then, because I want to know about like, what were the questions that you started to ask kind of rotely? And did you actually create a spreadsheet as you were, you know, that you'd come home from the date and you'd put in all this information or like, I need an overview. I need to yes, know where okay. we're going. Well, yeah. Do you want me to talk about a couple of the examples first and then jump into that or the other way around? Whatever you want to do. Okay. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you about a couple just for you to have context for who we're going on dates with. Um, a lot of the 100 dates, and also I'll mention, I think it was over, at this point it's probably over 100. I was in New York for six years. Mm-hmm. I went on over 100 dates. And in that time span, I did end up dating about six men. So I had six boyfriends in that time span. And Hmm. so I did, it's about two, two and a half years of meeting first dates, meeting people. Um, And so like maybe 50 dates per year, give or take, but there were times when- Those six boyfriends, did you meet them exclusively through this process? I met most of them through dating apps, but one of them I met through an improv class I was in and another one I met through jury duty. Oh no. (laughs) No, Okay. Let me take that back. That's a date that I went on. I did not, he, he was not my boyfriend. Um, okay. Yes, but the rest, I'm just going through. Yeah, the rest were through dating apps. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, I, I would just say the majority of these dates were, you know, a coffee or a cocktail. And I always recommend to set up plans after your date so you're not there forever because that's ADHD years. Tracy, could you imagine meeting someone that you're not no. romantically interested in, but you're just no. like interested in them as a person? So, I always try to set boundaries for myself and I tell them ahead of time so they didn't feel rejected. I was like, oh, you know, I'm making dinner. I'm making a late dinner for my roommates tonight or, um, you know, I have a, an improv show I'm going to. And they were always honest. They were true. Um, but one of the one of the first dates I went on was actually one of my first boyfriends in New York. And it was wild. He was English, Tracy. Mm-hmm. And he, after our, I, we set up a, a double date for the first date, he said, 
I'm coming to, uh, I didn't know if he was from there, from New York or not, because I'm coming to New York for, this is, this is me reading his, his, uh, <laughs> dating app text. I'm coming to New York for, um, with my best mate. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd love to take you on a date. Do you have a friend that could come? So we set up a double date and I was just smitten for him. And he didn't kiss me at the end of the night. And he texted me that night and he said, I'm gutted. I didn't kiss you. Which is such an English <laughs> phrase. Um, meet me in front of the Rockefeller tree tomorrow at 4 p.m. So there's a big, you know, the big tree in New York. Mm-hmm. So I, I met him there. I waited for him and he walked towards me and ever so sweet, like put his hand um, it, by my side and gave me the sweetest kiss in front of this Christmas tree. And you can imagine, Tracy, I was just like <laughs> smitten. I was like, oh my goodness. And then I had to go home for Thanksgiving. And he said, you know, if I cancel my trip home, can I take you on another date? So like, this is me. This is like, I moved to New York like three or four months prior. And I was like, this is insane. Like, these are the insane things that happen when you go on a hundred dates. You're just going to have every once in a while, a wild one. He came back, we went on more dates and then decided to be exclusive. And then he ended up flying me to England for Christmas. And he like had some, uh, he had some, uh, castle that he was like, let's, you know, we can, we can like, we did a tour. We stayed, we stayed in a castle. Like it was amazing. So we had I, some <laughs> castle. like my friends are like, did this really happen? And I'm like, absolutely. Like the whole time he worked for Google, I was like, is this real? So, um, my, I think that's one of my more wild stories is, uh, the English guy that flew me to England and we dated for like two or three months. But in that time span, got to go stay in a castle in England. Well, and you would have never had that experience, but for the fact that you were like, I'm going to try something different. Absolutely. And not to mention, I think there's something I learned from that too, which is, um, I mean, I just have so many, well, I'll, I'll come back to, I'll come back to all of the different <laughs> tips and tricks that we come to. But okay. another, another date that I went on includes like, um, a lot of them were just normal guys, you know, I'd have one drink and we'd both kind of be like, oh, I don't know if there's chemistry here or there would kind of be those eyes where he'd be like, <laughs> there's not chemistry, but do you want to hang out later? And I'd be like, no, <laughs> I'm going uh-huh. home. But um, the, um, I, had, I had one where a guy told me on the first date, and this one's kind of creepy, but he told me he was diagnosed with antisocial behavioral disorder. Oh, have you, heard, have you heard of that? Yeah. It essentially just means like a sociopath. Y- yeah. Yeah. And I'd study it. Why would you like, tell someone that? <laughs> so it, it's interesting. I'd studied it enough to know that it doesn't necessarily mean he's dangerous. And there's a lot mm-hmm. of really interesting like podcasts on this, but it just means like he doesn't have empathy. And I think he really wants a partner. So I think that he was being really honest because he was like, hey, this is who I am. But you, d- you know, I just don't think I'd experience that one uh, in a small town. <laughs> well, um, and I wonder too, you know, is that really what he had? I mean, I diagnoses going rampant. I mean, I know it's a little it's odd to, to me that he would. There's something not quite right because if he was truly antisocial, wouldn't he not tell you that? I mean, I'm not familiar with the diagnosis well enough to speak on it verbatim, but I will say, <laughs> I love psychology so much. I took off my dating hat and I put on my. This is like the best episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I stayed there for like three hours and he asked me zero questions and just told me about his life. And it was like w- better than watching a TV show. Later, my my best friend was like, you are insane. <laughs> and I was like, I won't do it again. But it, I learned a lot. Was it just I, a lot of trauma? Um, 
for him, yeah, he had he had some really hard stuff growing up, but also um, it was interesting because he'd just come from firing a couple of employees and he wasn't, he reminded me a lot of my boss at the time, which is actually, mm. I was trying to solve this mystery of mm. this really cruel boss I had. And I actually learned from him, oh, like this is the way he thinks, you know, yeah. uh, timeliness was make it or break it for my boss. And I learned, oh, there's some things that are... Um, that are way blown out of proportion in his mind. And this is one of them. And so I just learned to be like super punctual for my then boss. And he then, mm-hmm. then started to like me. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> anyway, so yeah. all that to share. Yeah, kind of bizarre. Um, but just a handful of just like strange experiences. Um, I met somebody who – I went on a date with someone who worked for the um, Museum of Natural History. And we mm-hmm. got to sit on – he took me inside to all those secret spots that you see in like um, that Ben Stiller movie. Yeah. And, you know? Is that it? Yeah. The Natural History Museum. And, um, yeah. and I love and that he, museum. we sat on the roof and we had a picnic uh, and look, looked out on Manhattan. Like that was really cool. So like there just went some cool um, experiences. I um, – probably all of like they'll come to mind as I chat with you. But I think that in general, there were way more normal guys who are a little bit um, bro-y or, you know, just didn't connect as much, but there are some fun ones too. Okay. So again, did you have some sort of a spreadsheet to keep track of all this? Um, Or how did you put it all together? So I think having, you know, for us who have difficulty, at least for me, with working memory. I've, I've seen people use spreadsheets before. For me, I, first of all, always saved the name in my phone um, as some sort of, you know, like cutesy name so that I could remember the person I was talking to. Like I had a secret agent, Scott, for, for one of them. And um, um, yeah, whatever the, um, whatever stood out to me in their, in their personality or their names. And then I also used on the, and you know, there's probably better ways to do it. For me, I'd either use the notes app or in the, in their um, contact, there's a place for notes. Have you, have you seen that? And so I'll put notes about them there. And I'll even still do that now. Like if someone tells me they have a, um, something they want, I'll put it in there as a Christmas present idea. So later I can see it. So anyway, that's kind of how I used it. Every once in a while I would have, um, like more organized systems. If I was going on dates with more than one person at a time, which for me, that's a lot. I can't really do that um, very well. I would, yeah, have something written out more formally. Okay. So a hundred dates over a period of two and a half years, probably more than a hundred dates. What did you learn? Wow. All right. So I use the strategies that I learned in business to apply to dating and that changed everything for me. First and foremost, I would say figuring out, I wish I, if I could have done anything differently, I would have gone back in the beginning and, you know, meditated, gotten myself to a centered spot where I didn't have RSD or some sort of emotional up and down and really spent some time thinking, what do I really want? And what does that look like? And I wrote that list out later on in this journey and it really helped me because if I was kind of feeling moody or, um, Maybe I had something happen that made me feel bad about myself. Then dating, I would swipe on any, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd be much more um, liberal with who I would say yes to. And that's tricky because then, you know, Tracy, you might go on one date with them and you're like, oh, they're fine. But then I'll, I'll go on another. And then 
are you 15 years down the road because you didn't know what you wanted? You know, it's kind of dramatic, but just thinking like, figure out what you deserve and what you want. And, you know, we accept the love we think we deserve. So I think first and foremost, since it's so important, spending time just really thinking about what do you look for in a partner and centering yourself. And then secondly, I would swipe only on two. I made a system for, and I call it swiping, but you know, whatever the dating app process would be. I would spend an hour on Sundays and an hour on Wednesdays. And the purpose of that is it can be overwhelming. You're always getting messages, you know, and um, at different times. And it sounds, you know, everyone gets different amounts of messages and there's different seasons where I got more or less. But if you're doing this at a rate, like I kind of describing, there are, it's just um, a quantity amount, right? So I read that there's much higher um, response. People are online on Sundays because they're planning for their week and on Wednesdays because they're planning for the end of their week and their weekend. So I do an hour on Sunday. I'd sit on the couch, put my feet up an hour, an hour on Wednesday night. And I would just reply to all the messages that came in or I'd initiate the messages. And I would start, there's a, there's a word called being scalable in business. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it essentially is instead of um, like the, your podcast is perfect for this, Tracy, you could have a one-on-one conversation with me and it could be super beneficial, but it would only benefit me. And it would be, let's say it's an hour of your time, mm-hmm. but you'd then have to do it, you know, for, let's say you had a hundred people, the same conversation, that'd be a hundred hours for you. Scalability is essentially what you're doing here at this podcast, you know, multiple people, a hundred people can listen to it at the same time. And so for dating, what I found that to look like was I used to think it was ingenuine to write the same first message every time or for me to wear the same outfit on the first date. But I realized later, that's just a lot of mental effort that makes dating fatigue so common. And I would get tired a lot. So I learned like, just, just normalize it. You know, I learned from my, my finance bros to create a pipeline, <laughs> create a dating pipeline, create a system, and then just go through and like, all right, I wouldn't go on a date with somebody later than 730. Cause to me, that's too late. You know, I would rather have a cocktail or a coffee right after work. And sometimes that means something different to different people. And I learned to um, meet up as quickly as possible. I had a really fun conversation with someone once, Tracy, and he is quoting Mean Girls and he was so funny. And the second I met him, I was like, nope, (laughs) there is not going to be, you are a brother. You are not a romantic interest. But I spent a week thinking about him, texting him, you know, so just meeting as quickly as possible. And yeah, there's a lot of like emotional reading too. Like I'm sure your daughter's going through figuring out this, like if someone's being manipulative or genuine, there's a lot of just learning how to read someone. You know, it's interesting because it sounds like what you did is you built as much structure as you could possibly build around dating. Yeah, that's right. Mm Mm-hmm. So you had a formula, which means you don't have to think about it. You just do it. Exactly. Yes. And then also it means like if someone doesn't message you back, you know, if, if there's one, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, that can be really emotional for us, right? Mm-hmm. Like for those who cry at, at the, the mice on Scrooge, the Muppets version, right? But if the concept is like, all right, hey, I want to meet people and I just want to make friends, you know, and you're meeting people because you're truly interested in them. I think that there's a little bit less weight to it. And it doesn't feel as rejection. If someone like, it's the biggest gift to me. If someone doesn't ask me out again, or doesn't write back to me, because that just eliminated one more choice Mm. I need to make. And I love that because 
they are choosing for me that they're not interested in me. And <laughs> my friends and I joke, they're like, what kind of man do you like? And we're like, the ones who like us, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the ones who are available and single and who like us back. <laughs> but there's something about the concept of, and you got to be careful because I think sometimes we just like somebody because they like us, right? So there's something right. about, yeah. <laughs> you know, like- I think the question um, should not be, do they want me? It should be, do I want them? Absolutely. Totally. And I watched this really interesting Netflix documentary a while back that aligned with all my studies. And it essentially said- Do you remember what it was called? I think it was called The Science of Sexual Attraction. Okay. And it essentially said, or it might've been The Science of Attraction. It said, um, the science of attraction is so complex. And I remember learning this in my studies. There are hundreds of variables that we don't know about. Like think about how your friend group, they usually have a similar sense of humor or similar values. It said similar SEO, often it's similar socioeconomic status, SES rather. There's usually similar like um, backgrounds, maybe something about their families reminds you about your family. We are drawn towards things that for better or worse, kind of feel comfortable to us. And so what's interesting about that is if someone's not attracted to you or your, you know, your center, your pheromones, whatever it is, if there's something about you that they're not attracted to, I don't think it's personal at all because there's all these variables that come into place that we have no idea about. It's not that you're not pretty or, you know, oh, your hair should be a different way. No, like, you know, there's so many different variables. Oh, they came, maybe they came from a, you know, a farming background and, you know, I don't know, there's something about the smell of manure that really makes them feel at home and they love a girl with cowgirl boots and manure. And there's like, like, there's just so many variables that can go into one of millions, right? So like, I started realizing that there's so much science behind it and we shouldn't be offended at all if someone's not into us or if we're not into someone else. Well, and that's interesting because what you're basically saying is that by having more dates, what you're basically doing is taking the emotion out of it. So it actually becomes easier if you struggle with, you know, emotional regulation, um, RSD, whatever. Totally. And also I just point out like one in three dates get canceled. So oh, really? Yes. Especially in New York, like either by that person. And sometimes I'd be like, thank goodness it's raining. I don't want to commute up to the Upper West Side. Or it would be by, by, um, by me, like things just come up and commuting and trains are down or something. So I think it's it, like you said, this is just a numbers game for figuring it out. And for me, I found like even with, um, I'm living with my boyfriend right now. We've been together for a year and a half. And I did this process in Maryland where I moved to during the pandemic. I'm still here. And I went on 20 first dates. Most of them were via Zoom because it was the beginning of the pandemic. And that's then I met John. And so I found like just, just running the numbers for me, I think I've gotten to the point of if I go on give or take 20 dates and get, get then again, um, those numbers can change all the time because <laughs> it's not stat, it's not statistically, um, accurate, um, but, um, or exact, rather precise, not statistically precise, uh, I can find someone that I really enjoy and that could be a compatible partner. So I found that just to make it give more confidence in general. That's interesting. So do you think that number is a number that's across the board for most women? I would say it's really different for everyone because I am way more like, I mean, I've gone on dates with guys that are two inches shorter than me. I've gone on dates with guys that are different ethnicities that are different. I mean, clearly from a different country. Um, I, my, my best friend, she's married now, but when we are in the single world together, 
she hated dates and they took so much energy for her. And I think her strategies need to be different than mine. You know, like I don't think that this would work for everyone. And she ended up uh, marrying one of our great guy friends who I helped um, wing woman for. Her. I like to take credit for, <laughs> for being a good wing woman, but um, in our circle, and I think that's what she felt comfortable with. And so, yeah, I think this is um, an interesting strategy for those who have the energy for it. But then again, I think that if, if she was going to do something like this, I would say spend more time cultivating and figuring out the person before you meet them, like be more picky and choosy with your dates mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then do less dates. That's probably how I would approach it from her perspective. So you had more of a shotgun approach. I'd say I had more of a shotgun approach, but it got way more precise as I went on. Um, and it was because of all those previous dates, right? That you were able to really, right out of the gate, you could tell by their bio that, okay, this one stands a much better chance. Totally. And like, there's specific questions I learned to ask. Yeah. And things to like, what's, for example, the question of what'd you do this weekend? And the guy with the horses and the Maserati, you know, like, I don't know if it's a Maserati. Obviously I don't know about cars. Um, yeah. But like, I also, I know you mentioned, do you have a prison? You had a prison I have a, pri- a guy, a prison story. <laughs> there are just so many things that I, one thing I've realized is um, it makes me so grateful for friends and for partners who, um, we're all humans. We all have flaws, but just meeting all of these different people makes me realize that the world is big and there are a ton of humans out there. And, um, I think that I have more gratefulness for my friends and for my current partner and my family, because I've seen the spectrum of humans that exist from the guy who told me he was a sociopath on day one Mm -hmm. and he just fired someone and didn't care at all to, um, the guy who, um, another thing to look out for is the English guy, I think did something called love bombing that I think your daughter should keep an eye out for. Have you heard of this? Uh, well, I mean, that almost is like the norm, right? They're just like the spotlight on you and they're just, well, and that, that was me with like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, right? You're just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. So why would they do that? So have, have you heard of West Elm Caleb on TikTok? No. Okay. This is amazing. So I'm going to talk about love bombing, but just want to give you a really interesting side note. On TikTok, maybe a month ago or so, this video started going viral where a woman was talking about a date she went on with a guy who works for West Elm. He's a furniture designer and his name's Caleb in New York City. (laughs) So this could be your daughter. Your daughter could go on dates with this guy. Watch out for West Elm Caleb. So all of these women, apparently hundreds of women started being like, wait, he sent me the same podcast before he, he sent me the same rather Spotify playlist, like a pre-dating playlist. Oh, and he geez. said he sent me the same messages like before they met, saying things like, I have a feeling this is gonna be a really good one. Giving essentially love bombing is an unhealthy, uh, often sent by narcissistic response to overwhelming, like um uh Weston Caleb told the women everything they wanted to hear. He said everything that they wanted to um he but it wasn't genuine. And so sometimes ADHDers do something that's similar. And it's just we're obsessed with, right. with something or something that's different. Love bombing is essentially the concept of um, it's often done. Yeah, like I mentioned by narcissists, this guy West Elm Caleb did it to these women to essentially gain control. And then if um, you know he kind of just had a bunch of women that were wrapped around his finger. And so it's crazy in New York. I never realized there was this super emotionally intelligent group of men who exists in the dating world, I didn't really know men could be this like savvy, kind of like a, 
Barney and How I Met Your Mother, if you're familiar with that show. (laughs) (laughs) But so love bombing is something to look out for too. If something feels too good in the beginning, you know, I want someone who's going to be emotionally healthy and happy independently. And if they like me, that that's good, but it should come naturally. You know, I, you know, a little bit. Um, I, I noticed with the English example, for example, all of that stuff came on way too fast. And looking back, oh, I think that me now would be like, slow it down. You know, I want to make sure we really get to know each other, if that makes sense. So but check out Weston Caleb on t- TikTok if you want to watch some funny and interesting videos and tell your daughter wow. to watch out for it. <laughs> wow. Okay. So what are some of the questions that you would ask to judge character? And did you have a series of questions before you'd even go on the date to decide if you're going to go on the date? And then was there a second series of questions for like the first date when you're actually there? Yeah. So a lot of these I'll happily share. A lot of these, I think, are personal per person, right? So on the um, on the dating apps, I usually I, I loved it if the guys would initiate some sort of question. Um, I loved it if it was personal about my about my profile. But I also recognize that they're in the same place that we are, right? So I try to be as genuine as I can on my profile. For example, I think my profile might have said something like you're only able to love others as much as you can love yourself or something like that. Something with the mm-hmm. concept of, I care about an emotionally healthy human. Yes. Um, and I think my, my current partner, he, he wrote back, he was like, I don't know what to say, but I just want to say, I, I agree with that. And you sound like a really um, mm-hmm. cool person. I'd love to get a coffee with you or something. So I like that. It was just a very honest response for me. Before I ask questions, I look at their pictures to see, do they look like they are Getty images and model? <laughs> like, I can't tell you how many like professional wedding pictures of a guy holding a Bud Light, smiling at a camera, like pointing, you know what I mean? Like very like, Uh, (laughs) uh. it's just, it seems so, um, you know, I I tend to like men who don't have social media or who are quite personable and um, not very cocky. And so Mm -hmm. like my current partner's pictures were pretty bad. And I so loved it. Bad pictures. <laughs> yeah. Like look for ones like their, their guy friend took and they're like, this is great. <laughs> That's not how he talks. But um, <laughs> yeah, so there's something about like um, just looking for, you know, I like to think, think about one of your good guy friends in your friend group and what would they put on a dating app? And then, you know, think about um, what they would say and would they be respectful? Would they be flirty in their first message? So I'm not really into the super flirty first messages, for example. Um, so usually everything from like, you can use easy questions to get a lot of information. What did you do this past weekend? Um, what are you up to for the holidays? What are you up for the weekend? It can be something really basic. But the fun thing is once you're on that date, as ADHDers, you can use, we, I, I would use my personality that can ask random playful questions to get information to be helpful. You know, like, have you ever gotten a tattoo? And if they have a tattoo, maybe you'll learn something about them. Yeah, my tattoo says my ex-girlfriend's name. <laughs> or that I love Maseratis. Horses, horses. Yeah. And not the kind that are, yeah. Um, that have four legs. So, you know, you can learn. And one thing I did learn is after a cocktail or so, this is a little secret tip. After a cocktail, um, I found you can ask questions that can tell you more about someone's character on the first date that they might not tell you later. Mm-hmm. So everything from like, have you ever been cheated on or cheated on someone? And I don't really care about, you know, their answer would just kind of teach me how they thought about cheating. Right. Um, And, uh, or I could ask like, are you close to your family or. That's a big one. Have you dated a lot of women (laughs) Uh or like, um, 
do, uh, have you ever been in love? Like you can ask, or, you know, can ask like, have you, um, if you could have any job, what would it be? You can ask playful questions, but I essentially was trying to get to the core of the human and figuring out like, you know, later if someone knows you, they might not want to tell you all these things, but on a first date, you, people are usually a little bit like, ah, I might never see you again. <laughs> I'll tell you. It's like, it's like the airplane theory. Like, you know, when you're on an airplane, you talk to the person next to you and they know everything about you. Yeah, exactly. Cause you think you're going to die. <laughs> Yeah, or you're, you're just lonely and a little bored for two hours. <laughs> are and we, it, are you covering Tracy that you fear airplanes? <laughs> um, no, I'm just saying, you know, I don't know why it is. Sometimes you can sit next to someone and you literally don't say a word during a whole five-hour flight. And then other times, yeah, you become best friends. So it's interesting. And sometimes, you know, like I often get on a plane and I'm planning on working. So it's just like I put up the blinders, right? Don't talk to me. I, yeah. I want to get, you know, this work done. Okay. So do you have a preference for drinks versus coffee? So I will say if I get drinks, I'll only have one drink on the account of <laughs> I can I can pretty much enjoy a conversation with anybody <laughs> after mm-hmm. two drinks. I'm a lightweight. But I will say um, that – if I really want to, the next, usually I'll take some time and be like, do I really enjoy this person or do I just enjoy people in general and this person's yeah. chatting? Um, mm-hmm. I would do either one, but I, yeah, again, I, I normally only have one beverage and I'd usually make a little quirky joke about it. I'd be like, I'm a one cocktail girl. Or like, I have a rule. I'd often say I have policies and my policy, policies. Yes. I have a lot of policies. And especially if someone, if a guy was ever, you know, with a hundred dates, you're going to get the conversation of, you want to come back to my place and say, oh, I have a policy of, no, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> or yeah. do you want to have another drink? Oh, I, I have only a, a one, one drink. Actually, I did read this in a, in a formal, um, like etiquette book. And it said, it's proper for a lady to have one drink per location. And so <laughs> I said, I have a one drink per location policy. And one guy said, well, let's go someplace else. <laughs> And I was like, well, you got me. (laughs) Um, But if I didn't like him, I would have been like, no, no, no. And I've also learned you can say no to men if you smile and do it in a playful way (laughs) so easily. Like um, that sociopath. I feel so bad. I probably shouldn't talk about him on this podcast, seriously. But, um, you know, he said, you know, can we go out again? And I said, no, we can't. (laughs) And And he laughed like I he was like, he was like, what? And I was like, I don't think so. And he was like, okay. Like, he just, I don't know. I think they're confused if you say it in a playful way. Well, and with humor, right? Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And again, like, it's not that I am like a special, um, super mega hot model in New York city. It's just when you're in New York or when you're around so many people and you, you know, do this so many times, it just, um, I'm an average Joe, you know, like I'm just an average person, but like in a bar, if a guy was ever trying to like, Hey, you want to, you want to dance or something? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> they always just respond. <laughs> really? Like no one ever got mad. So yeah. that's my go-to rejection move. Or like, and then one other thing, if somebody ever asked you on another date, be really honest, like no, no ghosting. Like I had the same message I'd send. I'd copy and paste it. And I'd say, Hey, um, Chris loved meeting you. And then I'd say something specific about them. Like I loved learning about your Greek heritage and how to make, I don't know, uh, I don't know, a random, a Greek salad, a true Greek salad. But I just didn't sense any chemistry. Um, I wish you all the best. I didn't yeah. sense any chemistry. And maybe I would even say like, and I want to, you know, I want to be respectful of both of our time. And so um, I think that helped a lot too. Okay. I think we could go on for forever. But before we close, is there anything else that you should be telling us about 
Well, hopefully not me. <laughs> Unless something happens to my husband. And you and Rich are doing great. <laughs> yeah. So is there anything else that we should know before you leave about dating? Man. Um, and did you say, so you actually have an Instagram um, that's the 100 date challenge? Yes, it is slow and growing, Tracy. But the goal is, and this is what I think I would mention is, one hard thing in this is you're kind of alone a lot of times when you're dating on the, on these dating mm-hmm. apps. And um, as much as you can find community, like I had a group of girlfriends in Knoxville where I lived who we talk about this stuff. But when I moved to New York, you know, your single, your dating friends only can take it so much <laughs> of little gritty questions. I think having community um, yeah. and women or, or men, people to talk to that get it is huge. And, um, so yeah, I, you're more than happy to join, um, our Instagram community and we've, my friends and I have set up Zooms where we've just gone through, I'm not dating right now, but, um, uh, since I have a boyfriend, but we've gone through and just talked like, all right, Hey, everybody, everybody gets five minutes or 10 minutes, share what's going on. Oh, and somebody might be like, oh, you know, I don't want to go on dates this week, but I'm going to go on two. I'm going to try to set up two. Mm-hmm. And I'll report back, and um, or someone would be like, "Hey, this guy didn't, you know, didn't pay for my meal," or "Hey, he said he didn't want to have kids. Should, should that be a big deal for me?" And having friends to listen and be like, "Hey, y- do you want kids?" And you say, "Yes." Well, I think that actually is a big deal. Yeah, you know, like that can come up in five years, but why don't you save yourself the time and love yourself by choosing you now? And then just having friends to be like, I think the number one thing for dating, honestly, is really. Um, everything we can do to take care of ourselves and, you know, everything from sounds cliche, but love ourselves to know, um, how much you deserve. Like ADHD women are amazing. And if I was into women, I would date an ADHD woman any day of the week, (laughs) you know, like they're incredible, but we can also have so much self deprecating thoughts. And so really spending time and energy to realize how amazing you are. And the best thing I think that, um, I, if I could, if only one thing could be remembered from this podcast, it's, you know, you deserve the love you give to others. And and the concept that if you're with somebody who you are giving so much love and they're not responding to your texts, they're not for you. You deserve someone who's going to give you the same amount of love back. And so I think a lot of times in the dating world, women can be subject to, oh, he's probably busy or <laughs> oh, <laughs> guys are bad at texting, but just realizing, yeah. no, like there are mature men out there who... There are. Would be great partners for you. There are riches out there to the Tracys. Exactly. And, you know, I, I say it all the time. It is literally, it's a numbers game. Just exactly what you said. It is marketing. And this is the most important relationship of your life. And so my thing is, I tell this to my daughter, I don't hang out in bars. So why yeah. would I go there to meet people? Oh, totally. Yeah. I you did know? that for a while. And then all the people that I met were the people that I wouldn't... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're not my, it's not my style. No. Exactly. So going, also going places to your point, Tracy, like spending time in places that you really enjoy to meet people organically is great. Like I think that's an excellent way also to meet people. Well, and what you were saying, um, you had met someone in an improv workshop and I tell my daughter that the same thing, you know, go to places where you feel a lot of positive emotion, right? You feel positive emotion for the people you meet, what they're doing. You have something in common. She's so cute. She, she joined, I don't know. I can't remember what it's called, but it's this private library in the upper, 
I always mix them up because I have no sense of direction or time. (laughs) The Upper West Side. Yeah, the Upper West Side. That's like the the hoity-toity part, right? Yeah, uh uh-huh. That's right. If you knew how many months I've spent in New York, and I still don't know that. I should say years at this point. Anyway, and it was just all a bunch of little old ladies and little old men who would come and, you know, they have a fireplace and all these comfy couches and chairs. And they come in. She loves to read. So they come and read their books. And she was telling me, I don't know if this is, you know, a, a good place. And I'm like, well, you feel so much positive emotion when you go there. You know, it's right across from Central Park. You can then go walk. And and she just, when she's not sure, you know, what am I going to do this uh, this Sunday or whatever, she'll go there. And granted, she's probably not going to meet. <laughs> she's probably not going to meet the guy. But who I mean, knows? Tracy, Maybe no, no age here. She might be into a 70-year-old, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe she could meet his grandson, right? Yeah, totally. Oh, man. Totally. And, you know, it's interesting because I read before the pandemic, one in 18 Americans currently live in New York City. Really? Isn't that wild? Yeah. And um, wow. and this is before the pandemic, but still, I, I was there last weekend and I, all my friends have such different communities. It's such a huge place, right? Like think yeah. about it, you've even an entire, I don't know if you've watched any of those documentaries about the Orthodox Jew, Jewish community, but you've yes. got entire communities that we don't even know about. And you can yes. go to Queens or you can go to Chinatown, have all different kinds of food. So I had a friend, I, I started taking improv classes, which I recommend to all ADHDers. It's such a positive community where um, spontaneousness and impulsivity. Well, they're probably all ADHD, right? I think they are. Yes. (laughs) Um, But um, improv is an amazing place to make friends. And I I had some friends who took courses for painting and for art. And I think the arts, I I heard a quote once that said, you know, the sciences, math and science, they, I think it's a famous quote. So you might know, correct me if if I don't have it right. They are what, you know, keep us alive, but the arts are what give life meaning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I love that for her. Yes. Go places that make you feel good. And also, sadly, in New York, I think that there's like twice as many, um, something about um, uh, educated, college educated yes. women than there are men. So the numbers are kind of, I think once I realized that too, I was like, all right, the numbers are not for me. I've got to see what I can do here. Although, you know, I was just thinking she has, she, she's so social. So she has all these different groups of friends and one of the groups. So, you know, she has her finance bros, but then she also has her comedy bros. And these are all guys who, you know, they're into stand up comedy. And so she'll go to their shows and, and they make her laugh. Right. So she loves to be around them. So I think she's gotten much better about picking who she wants to spend her time with. Yeah. So I think, um, there's all different kinds of people and in the world. And I think honestly, this experiment helped me realize how many kinds of people there are in the world. And <laughs> I think it made me realize how amazing my group of friends are. Like if you have a group of friends that are kind and supportive and they love you for who you are, and you're like, oh, you know, I think as ADHD or sometimes we can be, I don't know about you, but I can be a perfectionist. And by that I mean kind of wondering if there's anything that could be better out there. Mm-hmm. Feel that way at all? Yeah. Always. Yeah. So they <laughs> were like incredible problem solvers. But with that, I think it can, and I just, this, I'm reading Brene Brown's The Gift of Imperfection. It helped me realize, oh, perfectionist doesn't mean that your house looks perfect. It means that you can see things and imagine what could be better with that, which is a super strength, but also it's a challenge, right? So I think this, this um, dating experiment has helped me notice, whoa, like I dated my guy friends in Knoxville before I moved to New York. And I was always like, I don't know, you know, 
I wonder what else is out there. Maybe they could have a, a better job or be more cerebral and not as emotional, whatever it is. But looking back, I'm like, oh man, like if you have a group of friends that are good people, those people likely are one of the best places to start for finding someone who's a good partner. Um, but that being said, if you're willing to learn and you like meeting new people, I think it's really cool to learn about. And I, I feel like I have a whole different worldview perspective from learning about other humans that um, are out there and what, what life looks like for different people. Well, and I think this is such an ADHD way to do it too, because <laughs> you're absolutely right. We always have this fear that, well, every rock isn't turned over, right? And maybe I'm missing someone. But the reality of it is I think when you get the right person, all of that stuff just goes away because it's the right person. I mean, as much as I literally wanted Rich to just go away because I was so excited about moving to D.C. and, you know, all new people and, you know, uh, the seat of our government and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and he just kept showing up, right? And it, it only took two weeks and I was like, crap, I'm sunk. <laughs> so how did you know? That. So, so I'm, I'm dating my current boyfriend. I've been together for a year and a half and I'm curious, how did you know when, and, and, and I went, when, when it, when Rich was the one. And then also I, I do read, um, on ADHD, it might be on your, on your Facebook page, or maybe it's on the Reddit, you know, women who with ADHD have a hard time either comparing their partner, or maybe they're not as supportive of their ADHD. How do you think okay. that? What, what am I telling so you? This is how I knew. <laughs> and I say this all the time. It was the easiest relationship I had ever been in. He was an adult. There were no games. He was as excited to see me as I was to see him. And there was just, there were no obstacles, right? He was emotionally really healthy, really present. He, you know, he's 11 years older than I am. So he was more mature than, you know, guys that I had dated in the past. And he loved everything about me. There was nothing that he would have changed. And that has gone on throughout our entire marriage where sometimes I do things and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I totally embarrassed him. <laughs> what did I say? He, mm -hmm. he doesn't even care. He doesn't even notice. And so that, I think, that's what really shifted my ADHD journey for me was having someone that was always going to have my back, who loved me exactly the way I am. And I think that's what made me accept, right, who I was. Because if he loved me exactly the way I was, then obviously I was perfectly fine the way I was. And screw the people who, you know, maybe I was too much or too this or too that. Um, it was easy. I, I tell ADHD women that all the time. If you are in your head trying to convince yourself how you can make this work and how this thing wasn't really that bad and, you know, oh, be, not, be easier on this guy, no. It's got to be easy because trust me, after, you know, 10 years, 20 years, things do not get easier. Sometimes they do, but usually they don't. And so if it was easy from the beginning, I promise you it'll be easy when, because every marriage has, you know, ups and downs and things that you have to face together. And if you're a team, you can get through it. But if you're constantly fighting each other and you're with someone who's making you feel bad about yourself, just get the hell out. I mean, you know. Yeah. And like, I would, oh, go ahead. 
I, I just was going to finish by saying, because there is someone out there who, who thinks that you are absolutely wonderful exactly the way you are. I love that. Now, of course, he wishes that I would be on time, right? <laughs> he wishes that he wouldn't go get in the car and like 15 minutes later, I'm running around and I come out and I'm like, well, I didn't know you were in the car. Well, where <laughs> the hell else would he be? Because, you know, I got distracted. <laughs> of course, I'm sure he wishes those things were different, but- he, he gets that I'm not intentionally doing this to upset him. Totally. I love that. Question for you. I have a follow-up question. Have you read Melissa Orlov's book on ADHD and relationships? And did, yes. that, did you relate with that? Yes. She's been on our podcast. Oh, excellent. Oh, I should have done my homework more. Yeah. <laughs> I know what I'll yeah. be doing after we hang, after we hang up. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, you know, ultimately, you know, where the shame comes from is when we are made to feel like, there's something wrong with us. We're not good enough. Again, we're too loud. We're too this. We're too that. Rather than, you know, there are people who who like how we are, right? They yeah. like the fact that, I mean, he knows I walk into a room and sh- I'm on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but because I I appreciate him so much and who he is and I respect him, I it also kind of tempers me, you know, at times to make sure that um, because my husband is actually a type A, but when you meet him, you think he's not because mm. he is reserved. He's a banker, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You think, you know, he's reserved. He's not quite, he's not quiet because he's, you know, he's one of these people that he can go into any room and talk with anybody, but he does not need to be the center of attention. Mm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we do. And so when I am with him, I do make a point of kind of pulling myself back just a little bit to make sure that it's not always the Tracy show. Mm, totally. Oh, I relate with that. Absolutely. <laughs> and there's something nice about that partner that, you know, has a, it sounds like he has a give and take where he doesn't call it the Tracy show, right? He enjoys totally. you. He would never say that. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I don't even know if he thinks that, but I know that I can be like that at times. And so I'm always really cautious about, and, and I don't mean to hide your light. What I mm-hmm. mean is that give other people an opportunity to speak to. <laughs> totally. And there's a time and a place for everything, right? Like we literally are on the Tracy show right now and everyone loves it. We love it. Like we are Tracy fans. And so <laughs> I love the concept of like, um, I mean, of course they say like you, you give a voice to the the goodness in us that is, uh, you know, the, the good part of our core of our center, whatever it is, it says, Hey, like, maybe I'm not so bad. Maybe this is a gift, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe can, I'm really great actually. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the world's just kind of made, you know, mm-hmm. um, in a way that makes it harder for me. I should change things around. So, um, and it starts you with your environment voice. and your primary relationship, your primary intimate relationship. It's all about its environment, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, life is so much easier when you have someone that supports you without question, no matter what. You know, yes. he, might, he might say, and I can't even remember an instance like this, but I know if things were really out of control, he would pull me aside and say something. Um, but I don't know. He just never feels like, you know, anything I do is really that out of bounds. First, as I can tell you, some guys would. They totally would, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm a total feminist and that would bug me. I mean, would bug them and it would bug me too. So it would bug anyway, you if it was bugging yeah. them. Well, I should, yeah, I think exactly. what, I, what I was thinking about a moment earlier is when you're talking is that's the concept of, um, 
you know, and, and I think something that's been tricky for me is out of those six relationships I had in New York, a lot of them, I really like them as people. But I had to look at, you know, what do I, what do I want life to look like? And what do I really want out of a partner towards me? And I think a breakup is perceived really negatively a lot of times, um, you know, but I think the concept, I think I, um, for anyone who's in a spot where they're hearing what Trace is saying, and they're like, I think I need to get out of my relationship. The idea of saying something like, hey, I, um, uh, I, I've done, done so many of these and I just found it to be really helpful to be honest. Like I, I told someone, one person one time, hey, I would, I wish I had a, a recipe for love, but I don't. And I would fall in love with you if I could. But mm. I can't, and I care about you. You've taught me to be a better person. And I've never had a bad breakup experience when you're really respectful and kind to someone and respecting yourself, right? So the idea of, hey, like, I, life's going to be long. Like you said, Tracy, my mom always says, life's long and it's hard. And you want someone by your side who's not going to make it harder, right? So I don't have all the answers, but there's some things that I think sound really right when you hear them. You know, the thing about it too, though, Jackie, and you've been alluding to this, you've actually flat out said it a couple times is if you don't know who you are, if you don't know who's important, you know, what's important to you, if you don't know what you're good at, your strengths, what you're passionate about, that, you know, that, that little sweet spot between all of those things, how do you then know who is right for you? I have had friends who are literally just got divorced and they want to jump out there and go and start dating. And I would say to them, what about if you figure out who you are first and what you want? And, you know, they would be, you know, hooking up, but not, my daughter always tells me that's the wrong word. They would be dating. <laughs> they would Maybe be Kaylee dating. Says, big age hooking up, little age hooking up, and then yes, other age. Exactly. Is it lunch? Is it a kiss? Or is it something more? <laughs> yeah. So they would be dating yeah. these guys that were basically the same guy that they just got divorced from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm like, right. you know, And then I remember one of my friends said, well, can I do that, work on myself while I'm dating this person? And I'm like, no, because, you know, we find each other. So one broken person goes and finds another broken person, right? Half a woman attracts half a man, half a man attracts half a woman. So go work on yourself first because you're going to attract someone completely different. Totally. I, one of my social psychology professors said this thing that changed my perspective on humans um, far more than I think anything has ever been said before. And he was talking about group think, which is the concept of, you know, uh, when we're in a, uh, when we're with a handful of other people, we tend to all get in the same perspective. And somebody raised their hand. Actually, no, I raised my hand. I raised my hand. And I asked, um, when we're talking about, you know, historical events like Nazi Germany, and the Holocaust. Are we saying that those soldiers were all either sociopaths or you know nar- narcissistic? Mm-hmm. And he leaned back, and it was it felt like it was quiet for ten minutes. Tracy, he leaned back on his desk. He was standing, looking at this lecture hall, and he said, "We will never understand the great impact that we have on others and that they have on us." And he was saying, "It's groupthink." And there's something about the idea that one partner or one person in our life can affect us way more than we'll ever realize. Like, look at your outfit and your friends nearby, like that you're close to. Like, you probably dress somehow similarly. And your outfits probably have changed as you've had different friends. Like, there's subtle things we don't notice. And um, I think it's so true how 
those subtle things with a partner, you know, it's we should be more picky about that decision than than anything else. I'd rather be single. I, I, you know, I agree. I think I'd rather be single for a long time than with the wrong partner that makes um, things yeah. tricky. And as an ADHD, or, I think being single and alone is actually something that might be hard for us, right? Yep. So really like knowing and loving ourselves and trusting you can be independent. I think that's huge. Absolutely. Don't leave it to chance. Okay, Jackie, you are officially the longest podcast in three years that has ever been recorded. It's so funny. I keep trying to kind of like, okay, I better be wrapping up. I better be wrapping up. And then we go somewhere else. And so it's fun. And so I just kept going. You know, I, anyway. came, I came in hoping to get that, hoping to get that, that award. Do I get a, can I get like a piece of paper in the mail? <laughs> so I have another podcast literally in 10 minutes. That's how bad it is. <laughs> well, so thanks Jackie, for having me, Tracy. It's a absolutely. joy. I love hearing about your kids. Feel free to um, pass your info over for your daughter. I'd love to chat okay. with her. Have her join our little group. We'll have a Zoom session. <laughs> Thank you again so much for spending time with us. That is what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Jackie Newman, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really help. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.